0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 254 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. Hello.
1: How's it going? Good. How are you? I feel like we have a new best friend. We do. We're, we're forcing our friendship on her. Um,
0: she totally followed me on Twitter. Did she follow you, as well? Yep.
1: Feels great. It does. Yeah. Um, so, we interviewed R.O. Kwan. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. I loved this interview so much. We, it wasn't, this wasn't supposed to be Mondays. I don't want to say who was Mondays because I don't, it's not like I'm like b- moving them back. Right. Because I like this person less. But like, R.O. Kwan's book, The Incendiaries, just came out last week mm-hmm. and it's getting all the hype in the world. And frankly, I just don't want to wait to let you guys hear how awesome she is. I- She's amazing. I I will say... As a forewarning, Mm -hmm.
0: we don't normally do this forewarning because it's usually not an issue. But as a disclaimer, uh, there's some language issue. There's some strong language in here.
1: And to be fair, she, the reason that, like, before we started recording, we told her, we're like, you can say whatever you want because R.O. wrote a series of of essays before, (laughs) a series, I feel like I'm in Hamilton. (laughs) R.O. wrote a series of essays, compiling, um, before her book came out. One is about, if you look up any pictures of her, she has this, Incredible eye makeup that she wears below her eye, and it's a little, it's unique. It's not something you'd always see. And she wrote an article for L. I don't remember. Maybe E L L E dot com. It's L. I'm such a boy. Um, She wrote an article for L about that, and then she wrote another one about how she represents herself as a woman, how she doesn't want to feel. Um, weak in society and so she wears high heels all the time so that she can see people eye to eye and she's like i swear a lot because it's just the way so because of that article i told "I was like say whatever you want right and she it's not like she overdoes it she she doesn't but i'm just letting listeners know i just will say she's one of those people you know those people who are bad at swearing she's good she at is swearing. good at swearing she says a few things in this that had both of us like cackling with laughter is so she great. is good at swearing yeah but there is swearing there's some swearing um it's oh geez. honestly if you're offended by swearing you won't want to read her you won't want to read her book um so yeah that's an understandable thing um or or jill's book which probably not mine either you still have the best I am, tweet of all time
0: i am not as good at swearing as she is though <laughs>
1: that's not your fault <laughs> r.o kwan is like a phd <laughs> in good swearing it's amazing <laughs> Um. Okay, I, so I feel like I'm giddy from this conversation. If people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that?
0: They can find us. Uh, best place is to go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. You can also go find us on social. Um, that's Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. And you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com.
1: Yes, you can. All right, I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm going to let you guys listen to this interview with our new best friend, R.O. Kwan, on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hey everyone, it's Adam and Jill again, and we are very, very excited to be chatting with R.O. O'Quan, whose debut novel, The Incendiaries, is getting buzz all over the place. Uh, you've probably seen articles in Bustle, and Paper, and Vox, and The Atlantic, and The New Yorker, just to name a few. Uh, her book is so wonderful. It's literally everywhere. She is currently on tour, and she still found some time to call and, and chat with us today. So first off, thank you for joining us today.
0: Oh my goodness, thank you for having me. (laughs) So, can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to The Incendiaries?
2: Yes, of course. Um, So, The Incendiaries is about a young woman. Uh, She's in college, and she is drawn into a radical cult with ties to North Korea. And eventually, the cult ends up bombing five buildings in the name of faith.
1: I have to say, um, I saw somebody say that your book contains multitudes, and like that to me that's with like the most possible capital M you could use in the world um but a, ma- <laughs> a- major aspect of it is all about gaining and losing faith, and a lot of that came from your own personal experiences, correct?
2: yes, it did, yeah, those parts are in some ways those are the most um. Those are the most uh, deeply personal parts of the book to me. Although I guess, I mean, honestly, so much of the book is deeply personal to me. Um, I grew up I grew up very Christian. Um, I became even more Christian when I was in sort of late, late junior high, early high school. Um, I was religious enough that I truly believed that I would become a missionary or a preacher. Um, and then at 17, I lost that faith and I, it's a loss that I've pretty much been grieving ever since.
0: When you say you lost your faith at seventeen, was there something in particular that you would feel comfortable talking about, or was it sort of more of a gradual collection of experiences that led to that?
2: It was much more the latter. Um, there was no, there was no one triggering event. Um, for one thing, I I always read a lot. Um, I always loved reading, and spending so much time in the heads of people who aren't me um getting access to so many different viewpoints it made it increasingly difficult to believe that people who didn't believe exactly what i did um might be condemned to eternal damnation for (laughs) 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 just just because of that because of those differences um so that was one aspect there there's the problem of evil which a lot of um which a lot, which 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 leads to a lot of apostasies. Um, the idea that the problem of there being an all-powerful, omniscient, entirely good deity who allows so much pain and suffering um, to go on. Um, Dostoevsky writes, of course, very movingly about this, and that increasingly became a question that I that I couldn't that I couldn't quite resolve. Um, yeah, there were just there were just so many questions that I think they just built and built and built, and at one point they broke through. Um, and ever since, I've been I've I've been a stalwart agnostic.
1: You have no way of knowing this, but you just quoted Dostoevsky to a massive Russian lit fan for me here, so points for you on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I totally agree. Like not to turn this into a like religious podcast, but I have always felt the same way. I was raised Catholic, and I wouldn't say, like, we were incredibly religious, but we went to church every week, and I always struggled with this this thought of, like, okay, so if there's this omnipotent being, and we are here on this single planet when there's, you know, infinite numbers of planets, and, like, why is this the one little marble in the sky that he chose to send his son? Like, that stuff I've always struggled with as well, I'm like well are there like does he have and is there an infinite version of his son that's going to these other places and it does it definitely can get a little murky the more you think about it
2: yeah, exactly um, and yeah and there and there are so many different religions too that offer so many different answers or um or or paths toward answers towards answers and so yeah it just it just became impossible for me to keep believing um i would have stayed if i could i will um one of the one of the central characters in the novel will kendall he says that at some point that he would have stayed if he could and i think and i felt i very much felt that way um i loved believing i loved being christian i loved just being I, i walked around in a miasma of love and joy um and i've never since known that kind of joy that isn't also tinged with the knowledge of its eventual loss. And I miss it so much, but there's no, there's no going back, I think, once, once one's left, once one's left the garden.
0: So, given that, did you find it challenging to write about someone who's very much the reverse of that and is, instead is becoming deeply religious?
2: Um. That's such a good question. I'm not sure that I found that aspect of writing the novel to be particularly difficult. I mean, I found, I found writing the difficult in general to be so hard, which, <laughs> which I guess, which I guess every writer will say, right? Mm-hmm. That writing so hard. Um, yes. <laughs> but yeah, it it really did. It took me ten years, um, and I think part of what took me ten years is I was trying so hard to. I just I wanted it to be the truest version of itself it could be and it's a novel so of course I don't mean in terms of the facts um, I mean there, there aren't by and large there aren't very many facts it's a novel um, but in terms of who the characters are and what the story is and on the sentence level um, the, the logic of the sentences and I did very much want to give witness to my own experience of faith and so that means not just the the painful loss of it but also the um Tremendously joyful, it, the tremendous joy I felt when I when I when I did believe. I wanted to, I badly wanted to convey some of that um, because I think a lot of people um, don't know. Well, a lot of people exist on one side of a faith spectrum. They know what it is to believe in a, in a deity, um, in an all-powerful deity. In a lot of cases, at least in the U. S. Um, and there are a lot of people who just have no idea, and who have grown up um, without religion their whole lives. And I wanted to, I wanted to give witness to varieties of belief uh, for people who've only known, not just for people, but in a world in, wh- in a country in which so many people only know um, one way of being or only have personally experienced one way of being. I wanted to um, to show one side what other sides could look like or could
1: feel like. I know that, you know, a lot of authors and, and professors tell you to, to write what you know. It's like an oft-quoted thing. But, you know, with this experience being something that was such a huge part of your life and had such a, a effect on, you know, your, your mentality and the way that you saw things, at what point did you realize that you not only wanted to write about this, but you would be able to? Like, when you kind of sort of determined that you know this just wasn't the life you could lead anymore from a faith standpoint was it kind of immediate that you said like okay i need to write a story like this
2: um i'd say it was more um that's a good question i'd say it was more the opposite way around i i think i knew that my first novel would in some way grapple with um with these questions um and to extend that answer, honestly, I've never been. Everything I write is, in some way or another, shot through with this central loss. Um, even when it's something like, even when it's a nonfiction piece about like, when, even if it's a nonfiction piece about, I don't even know about um, about 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 eye makeup, um, which I mm-hmm. I had a piece in 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 the cut in New York Magazine. Yeah. Um, the ways in which I. I think I think my understanding of loss and my understanding of love um, is is so colored with that apostasy and with what I used to believe and with the difference between who I used to be and wh- and who I am now that there's no way to that there seems to be no way at least for now for me to write without God um, without God or my idea of God sneaking in. I I joke that I I would really like to write just like one fucking story without God sneaking in (laughs) there. And then then I always, you know, I start making it partway through the story and then I just start being like, oh no, something's missing. (laughs) Oh man. And then it's always that motherfucker, you know? Oh God. Um, That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, it's happening again with my second novel, which I I really, really wanted to write a second novel without, um, Without my idea of the Christian God making making his way in,
0: um, but but no, he's he just slides
1: back in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That
0: is amazing. Um, you sort of touched on this a little bit with one of your previous answers, but with this novel, you give such a thorough view of extremist religious cults and how they can mold someone's mind. Was that one of your goals then? I mean, it sounds like that was one of your goals, but did you really set out to help readers better understand the way these types of people approach the world? Yeah, absolutely.
2: That was, that was, um, important to me. So thank you for saying that because I, so often when, so often when faith-motivated terrorists, um, commit an atrocity, so, you know, they, they set off a bomb, they, they blow something up um they they kill people an immediate answer i think that people are reached for is i don't understand these people they're monsters um how can this ha- how can this happen and, and there seems to be a language there's often a language of a language that indicates that these people exist absolutely beyond the pale of comprehension um and i wanted to i wanted to shed i wanted to try to shed some light on how on how People, well, I, I. just. To put it differently, um, I'm not. I'm of course not the first person to say this, but I, 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 I. don't think that most people walk around thinking of themselves as comic book villains. Um, and I, I. I generally tend to hesitate. I, I, I hesitate to generalize, but the characters in my novel certainly aren't walking around thinking of themselves as comic book villains. Um, they. The characters in my novel, in a lot of ways truly believe that they're good people um, trying to do some good in the world. And in some ways, they feel that they're acting out of love even when they're committing acts that a lot of the rest of us um, would find to be reprehensible, perhaps even unforgivable. And I was interested in that. i'm I'm very interested in those disparities between how we see ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves versus how um, the
1: rest, how other people might see us. That's, oh man, that's so interesting. Um, From a mental perspective, I'm really really curious. Do you think that thinking about this and, and, and writing about these aspects of your life every single day, do you think it's helped you deal with the loss of your faith or has it made it more difficult to embrace that aspect of your life?
2: Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think, well, uh, uh, something that was so strange about writing this book, um, The uh, the Incendiaries, is that I spent so much time with um, with the Bible, with 17th century, 16th century mass music, with um, reading with religious thinkers. <laughs> I was spending so much time reflecting on this God in whom I don't believe. Um, and... <laughs> And I, I feel, and it's possible. I wonder sometimes if, if, this, if, if that, this is one of my last ways of being with, of being with this God whom I don't believe in, who I don't think is real, but who, in some ways, I haven't. I don't think I've stopped loving. Um, and I think a lot about how grief is. You know, grief can often be it's a, a continuation of love, um, and love doesn't necessarily end because the object of love has become unavailable that love can go on but it's but that love is, is it can't be given anymore because that that object is gone or that object is and so um i'm starting to think it's possible that i am going to continue to grieve this loss for the rest of my life um and maybe that's and maybe it's not that i've made my peace with that it's more I, maybe I'm fighting that idea less than I did at the
1: start. It's really interesting. Um, part of the novel we should point out re- had deals pretty heavily with um, the country of North Korea, and you have family connections to there, correct?
2: Yeah, um, they're. I mean, they're very distant. It's, I, I don't think it's uncommon among um, among Korean Americans or um, diaspora Koreans in general. Or or, I mean, Koreans and Korea, too. Um, because well, as you as um as you probably know, Korea was one country until really not long ago. Mm-hmm. And so um, so my family, there there are parts of my family that, just before the Korean War, they fled from what what's now North Korea. Um, and so I have, so of course, that means that I have distant ancestors um, or distant relatives, rather, who, um, who would have stayed in that part of the country um, and then and then were separated from South Korea because of, because of because of how, of how things went um, and so I think because of that I've, I've always been curious about because 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 that we we've, I've had such a different fate than the children and the grandchildren um, of the people who stayed in North Korea of course and so because of that I think I, I, I feel um, such I I wonder so much about that and I I think I said while I was working on this book I was reading a lot about North Korea because there was that sort of longing for something I don't know about and can't know about. Um, I will say though that 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 was... It was was a priority to me that well, I didn't intend for North Korea to make its way into my novel. Um, It sort of snuck in there I think because I was... Because I was so... um, because i I, because i was thinking so much about it and when john leal my cult leader started taking on a north korean past it was important to me that i not make claims about this place that i had never been to and that most people have never been to it's very different than writing about you know vancouver um because we like a lot of people have been to vancouver and (laughs) and they're like there, there are a lot of Google image, you know, you can Google image search for Vancouver, and so if you make some erroneous claims about Vancouver, then that doesn't, when does it feel the responsibility of that quite so much? Um, whereas with North Korea, I, I very much felt that I didn't want people to think, oh, okay, you know, like, yeah, sure, this is how North Korea is. Um, and so I wanted to portray that unknowing itself. I wanted to portray that, that, that uncertainty itself.
1: Canadians tend to be a pretty polite people, so I think <laughs> if you'd have misconstrued how Vancouver actually is, they'd probably be like, well, actually, no, but it's okay, thanks for mentioning this. Like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so with, um, with the scarcity of news that comes out of that area of the world, and knowing that it is most likely heavily edited before anyone, you know, sees it or hears about it, how did you go about dealing with that aspect of the book?
2: Um, well, I, let's see, I, I've been working on the, well, I worked on the book for 10 years, I worked on it so long, um, and I had pretty much finished, um, making substantial edits to the book as of last year, um, last summer, and then after that there were copy edits and sort of my, um, much more minor questions, but so... I wasn't really working on the book. Um I, like like I haven't been editing the book or working on the book in, in these past months, um when when the, when North Korea has featured most prominently in the in the news, I mm-hmm,
1: think. Okay. Okay. Alright, we were, I was just curious. I was yeah. just curious like, yeah, it's like well there's so little information right. that we get out of there and it yeah. is always just like <laughs> here's a military <laughs> person.
2: I mean I mean recently in an interview somebody was asking me like, well Tell us your opinion of um, of the summit in Singapore. Oh um, God! <laughs> and I just like I like shied away from the question, and I was just all I said was um, I you know I've read some news articles. I'm sure you have too. Um, I'm serious. I'm, I'm truly not an expert on <coughs> <laughs> on these matters. Um, you don't want my political opinions. Uh, my political opinions <laughs> are that forty five is terrible, and we should all. Uh, fight him with what we have um but that's not very special <laughs> <laughs> that's not unique um, so yeah let's talk about something else uh-huh. which, which has pretty much been my approach too. Uh,
1: i love it <laughs> i love the idea of someone being like so you wrote a novel give us your five biggest geopolitical points from southeast asia like yeah God.
2: exactly <laughs> oh, my i goodness. think that happens a lot to uh i don't know you know like i like i have a friend who's um a Lebanese-American novel and he's often asked like his, his, his opinions about what well, he thinks about like the like the prospects of like peace in the Middle East and, <laughs> and oh Jesus and, and yeah and, you know we're novelists like we
1: <laughs> yeah I, I feel like that would be if like if one of us traveled again we're from Cleveland I feel like if like one of us traveled to like Europe and someone's like what are your thoughts on the economical situation in, in, in the southern part of your country? It's like, I don't uh, know. I got nothing. Mm-hmm. D- please don't ask me those questions.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like I don't know. I read, an, I, read an, I, I read a piece in the Times last week. You <laughs> probably
1: read it, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me now quote you a thing that you've probably already seen. Um, yeah. So uh, getting back to your book a little bit... Um, you created several characters that they're really captivating and they're really interesting, but to be honest, they're not the most likable characters in the world. Um, mm. Did you ever worry about like readers not really having someone particular to latch on or like root for, or is that just something where you just want to write a story where you're like, listen, this is the story, not everyone can be entirely wonderful, here are these people? Oh, that's
2: such a good question. Um... I mean, I'll put it this way. I love those characters. Um, I love all of them, which might sound possibly strange, given one of them is a extremist cult leader. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I love—so, um, a writer I love, and he, he wasn't he as my mentor from grad school, Michael Cunningham. Um, he said something often that I think about, that we must love our characters as God does and not more. Um, And I think about that a lot because it means for me I'm I'm very much not a top-down writer. I don't like I don't want to play like puppeteer and make my make my characters dance. Um, I follow my characters. I try to find out. I try to learn what they want, what they're going to do next. Um, I really follow them on like a sentence to sentence level. I'm very interested in the logic of sentences. Um, And so I. It was, it was more that I had to, not had to, um, it seems the only way I can write is by letting my characters be who they're going to be, um, and I don't I feel as though I necessarily have a choice in the matter.
0: I just have to talk about how much I love Michael Cunningham for a moment now. <laughs> 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 oh, that's amazing.
2: Yeah,
0: he's so wonderful. Um I yeah, he's he's full of wisdom too. <laughs> I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Now, um we do have to talk about a piece that came out was it yesterday? I think
1: it was yesterday. This is very important
0: for us as as book lovers. Um it's about the book spines. <laughs> I
1: I was and I and I even I tweeted I tweeted at you. I think it was with the podcast. I don't remember if it was my own Twitter handle or if it was the podcast, but I was so ready to yell at you, and then <laughs> I read your article and I begrudgingly understood, but you are one of the people, and I'm going to say the people, who you, for a time, and I believe you said that you're debating doing this again, you, mm-hmm. on your bookshelves, turned all of your spines in, right? Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Okay. For two years, I kept them that way.
1: All right. So, I believe, did you write that for Electric it, Electric Literature yeah, or Lit Hub? Lit Hub, I think. Is it?
2: Yes, it was for Lit
1: Hub. Okay, so everyone go check out the article on Lit Hub, but, like, if you can, like, just, do you want to explain to people why you do this? Because, again, I was so ready to, like, online fight you, and then I begrudgingly accepted your reasoning.
2: <laughs> yeah, my twi- my mentions have gotten a little heated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know how Twitter, they'll sort of hide responses for you if they, if they think it's just going to be, like, really hurtful? yeah mm-hmm. um, and somebody, I don't even know who, man. I just like blocked them, and so I, I don't have the time. But um, so they wrote in all caps, like "Get Alive."
1: <laughs> oh my god! And it's been
2: like serious hostility, way more so than when I've written what could be contentious pieces that, that grapple with like questions of like gender and race. Like <laughs> it's been it's been pretty interesting. Um, so it was a gradual thing for me. Um, I was just staring at. I wrote in front of my books, and I was staring at them, and they just kept like they just kept distracting me. Um, and this, this is what a book spines are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to catch your attention. That's presumably what publishers want. Um, and so I turned around the ones that were just in front of me. I knew exactly where they were because i had been staring at them for hours, hours each day um, mm-hmm. while I worked. And then, and then I found that I wanted to do it to the rest of the bookshelf so that it would be uniform. And then just like one late, very late one night, I woke up feeling extremely unsettled and then I went to the living room and I started started doing it to the rest of the bookshelves. And I still really, and you know, like the first question people always ask is like, but then you can't find your books. But I mean, and I I have a lot of books, but I knew where they were because um, they were, I mean, first of all, they were more or less, like more or less alphabetical by author, which is easy. Um, And then but then I... But I also just, like, knew them. Like, I knew... <laughs> like, I knew them by their... I knew them by how they look from, from their pages. Um, and I... Um, I'm deeply introverted, for one thing. I didn't quite touch on this in the essay. I'm deeply introverted, as, as I know a lot of writers are. Um, I can definitely fake it. I can I can fake not being introverted for, for bursts of time. But... Um, and I only recently learned that being introverted means that... It's it's not just about wanting a lot of alone time and getting and getting energy from alone time. It's also about um, easily getting easily getting overwhelmed when there's sensory overload. Um, and I think just having the books be having the books having walls of of beige um, was so calming to me. I knew exactly where they were. There was something so beautifully, exquisitely private to me about the fact that only I knew where they were, um, and I knew exactly where to find them. And I love that I could identify them from from the back um, when there's so little to identify them. Like I could just identify them based on like based on like what was dog-eared or like or like the the slight bit of color that shows through um, from the from the hardcover. And when my husband uh, wanted a book, like I would just like happily go get it for him because he had no idea where the problems were. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but then eventually, just um, for, for a variety of reasons, we ended up turning them around. But now I can barely look at them, and I've, I tried and thought about so many different classification systems. Um, every classification system I've come across, though, doesn't sound quite right. And so I've been thinking about just turning them all around again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I well, Before we started recording, Jill and I were talking about you're, you're a Stephen King fan, and Stephen King, I'll let you kind of...
0: Oh, well, I was saying that, you know, reading that, again, I sort of... When I first saw the headline, I really kind of wanted to be angry at you. And then, <laughs> when I read it, though, but as an... Like, I'm a writer, too, and that may, I mean, Adam is as well, and that, like, makes perfect sense to me. And I know that, you know, Stephen King talks about when you set up your office, put your desk in a corner where there's, like, nothing around you to distract you. And I think it's the same sort of idea of just limiting the sensory aspect of any kind whether you're an introvert or an extrovert Mm
2: -hmm. yeah like we have in my apartment we have nothing on our walls um and in my where i write i stare at a i stare at the a totally blank sort of off-light wall um if i'm traveling i i very much need to not be by a window i can't have like a mirror or pictures in front of me um I like I like move around things in the hotel room so that if I'm if I'm writing I have um, I have just wall in front of me and I think it is like there is something about when I'm writing um, I get so absorbed and I need zero I need I need to be in a world in which I have zero distractions to the extent that that's possible um, so that the rich panoply of what I'm working on can play play itself out in my own mind and yeah
1: man. That is such a good sentence. That is. Oh. Our, again, I like I said, I everyone go check out the article. I was so ready to be mad at you and then I was like <laughs> Fine. I get it. I, mm-hmm. Well, there are some people mad at me. There's <laughs> on, on Twitter there were some people mad at me, like total strangers were just
2: tweeting at me.
1: <laughs> hey man, people love their people love their bookshelves, man. They right? do, they do.
0: Alright,
1: so at the end of our podcast, we like to do what we call the Nerd Nine, which is just nine lighthearted questions that not supposed to put a lot of thought into them. They used to be rapid fire, and then the answers never came rapid fire, so our listeners kept yelling at us for calling them rapid fire. Um, so the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? Oh, man,
2: the last book I finished reading. Let's see. Um, well... I just reread Rachel Kong's Goodbye Vitamin, which is a book I love, but I just reread it because I was um, talking about it on, um, I was talking about it on another podcast, um, so many, so many damn books where they have you, where where you spend the second half of the podcast talking about another book.
1: Oh man, that's a good idea. That's
0: a good
1: idea. (laughs) Damn it, we should have had that idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's your favorite place to read?
2: My favorite place to read. Oh, I'm I'm pretty indifferent to place. I'll read anywhere, but um, I do love reading in bed. There's something so luxurious about that, right? Like it's lying in bed, <laughs> reading, hours can go by. Um and I have blackout curtains so um wow. so just like hours can go by without my noticing. Uh-huh.
1: Uh do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading?
2: Oh, it's so hard to remember. It was it was it was way back when in terms of like in terms of when I was a tiny child, but um the first book I remember, just like, just falling head over heels with as a as a child that I that I kept loving as a, as an adult, um, is Portrait of a Lady by Henry James. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I I read that when I was quite young, just because my family had a lot of um, English language books just lying around the house that I would read um, without knowing what was without knowing what I was getting into. But I read that book so many times, and each time it gives so much to me. Um, it's such a rich, beautiful, terrifying, intelligent book with mm. um, with with one of the most truly frightening um, villains I've ever
1: come across. Uh, what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to?
2: Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I would love to go to Iceland, and I know that's not that hard, but um, it sounds so strange and wonderful. And every picture you see of it, it looks like a it looks like another looks like it's from. A slightly d-
1: different dimension or something. All that blue and the beauty and yeah, Iceland. <laughs> We've actually we have a lot of coworkers who have gone to Iceland because Cleveland has direct flights to Reykjavik, and so we have actually a lot like yeah. there's a weird amount of people from Cleveland who have now been to Iceland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should just go, but you oh should. well. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Do I have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Yeah. Um, to be
2: honest, and this is this is such a. Um, this is such a killjoy answer, but um, I don't like disruptions in my routine, um, and when I was working on this novel, it, it hasn't quite been true these past few months as I've been gearing up for um, the novel's publication, but when I was working on The Ascendaries*, I worked on it pretty much every day, including all holidays, um, and so I actually sort of... Dislike a lot of holidays Mm -hmm. because they get in the way of it's harder to (laughs) It's it's harder to work on my art people people very understandably um, My loved ones resist when I try to you know spend hours on my novel while on like Christmas (laughs) Thanksgiving
1: (laughs) Uh, All right, that's fair. Um, are you a coffee person or a tea person?
2: Coffee person, it's more effective, and I love all the studies that say the more coffee you drink, um, the longer you'll live.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> if that if that's true, I am going. I'm basically a cyborg. I am yeah. going to live forever. Yeah, if that's true.
2: Exactly. It's so great. They're like, have six cups of coffee, you'll live even longer. And I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, jump
1: with it. Are you a cat person or a dog person?
2: Oh, this is impossible. I love both. I love both so much. Um, I grew up with five dogs and a cat, so we had a like a mini menagerie when I was growing up. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, you just made us both very happy, so that's a... I'm a, I'm a dog person. Jill's a, a cat, cat person, person. so... Um, do you have a favorite food?
2: Um, I do, but there's a tragic story behind it. Oh, no. <laughs> it's tragic to me. I desperately love cheese. It's my favorite food. My favorite... My top 50 food, favorite foods are, like, all cheese, uh-huh. you know? Just, like, the varieties of cheese. Uh-huh. Um, but I became quite allergic to it two years ago, <gasps> and so... Oh, no. Um, <laughs> So now I'm so now I'm a person who, in a restaurant, anytime I order something, I'm always like, "Oh, but is there cheese in it?" Because it's so I can't have oh. it. Um, it's it's okay, it's okay, it's okay on the scale on the scale of bad things happening. It's not that bad, I guess. Like, I don't know. Bad. That's pretty bad.
1: <laughs> Listen, if you want I mean, write... to think
2: about cheese all the time, and then there's like so much cheese making its way into my second novel, just like I was was... descriptions of
1: cheese. <laughs> I was gonna say, there's your second novel about yeah. true loss is uh, yeah, cheese. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, last one of these If you could have dinner with one person alive or dead Who would you pick?
2: Oh my goodness um, That's such a good question Let's see uh, You know, I, I really love Ann Carson I love her so much I love mm. everything she writes But I think I'd get so anxious About talking with her That I would love more to just like Invisibly and creepily Sit <laughs> on the edge as she like talked to
1: somebody
0: else
1: Uh, oh that's amazing that's
0: that's a really good answer actually yeah (laughs)
1: um okay last question for you what do you hope that people take away from reading The Incendiaries
2: um you know I I don't think I have such um explicit intentions with the novel that said with what I said about um wanting to portray different varieties of belief um I hope that I hope that I did so in a way that people that people do come away from the novel, um, having perhaps um, perhaps enlarged their understanding of what of what religious experience can be for other people. Um, and yeah, I hope to I, I did very much hope to bridge bridge the sort of imaginative chasms between varieties of religious beliefs.
1: That's awesome. I know you are incredibly busy. You're traveling all over the place. Thank you so much for taking time and chatting with us today. We really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, of course. This was such a joy. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and I'm excited to to hear it.
0: Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace.
2: 18- plus.